welcome in our year-end special. If you think about all that has transpired, and we're focusing specifically on the men's game, there's been a lot from all the great performances, the major championship victories, obviously what continues to go on between the PGA Tour and Liv, the most recent defection as well. And where are we going from here? All of that. This is a two-part end-of-the-year special with me, Johnson Wagner, Brendan DeYoung. We got a lot to discuss right now. Today's Five Clubs podcast is brought to you by Golf Pride. Golf Pride knows that a grip isn't only a grip. It's the one piece of equipment in your hands on every single shot. You might not know it, but it has a huge impact on your game. In fact, Golf Pride recently conducted a first-of-its-kind study showing the impact of worn versus new grips. It showed that on average, a focus group of adept golfers gained an extra two yards of carry when they played with new grips. So what are you waiting for? Refresh your grips. Refresh your game. Visit GolfPride.com today to learn more. Golf Pride. Respect the grip. And with that, we welcome in Brendan DeYoung, Johnson Wagner. I, first of all, you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of when you, when you walk to your ball and you only have one club, and you go, screw it, it's... <laughs> The walk is too far back to go and change, but you could have changed. He picked me up at my house, but uh, this is the most comfortable thing I've ever worn. And, and by the way, we were teammates at Virginia Tech, so we're used to wearing the same clothes. Fair enough. Thank you to Peter Millar for outfitting all of us here. Truly, um, there's a lot to discuss. I don't recall, you know, you guys, for all the years that you played, I know that you guys were both curious. You were you were on the policy board. You You were plugged in with what was going on. But now that you're viewing the game from a different place, it doesn't matter that that now you're you're covering the game. In my estimation, this has been the most turbulent year, not only in men's professional golf, maybe in golf in general, considering we're going to get to the rollback and all that's going on with the governing bodies. Um, what is the story of the year? In 2023, what was the biggest story? I think it's got to be on June the 6th when Jay Monaghan all of a sudden decided that we're going to put in a framework agreement between the PGA Tour, DP World Tour, and the PIF. That's it. That's it. It has to be. You yeah. know, despite everything he had said was so contrary to this leading up to it, that to me has to be the biggest story. Yeah, you know, Liv existed in 22, so it wasn't the creation of Liv. It couldn't be that. Would you go to June 6th? I would. I, I choose to take more of a glass half full. I, I think what Ludwig Bear has done throughout this season, being a amateur playing in the NCAA championship sure. in June around the same time as June 6th, going to now being top 50 in the world, playing on a Ryder Cup, doing things we haven't seen anybody do before, i.e. play a Ryder Cup before ever teeing it up in a major championship, and then to cap off the season by winning. Like, I, Yes, June 6th was... Uh, uh, a momentous occasion in golf, but I'm going to choose to highlight a player. No, that's great. I mean, I the the the, the O'Bear thing is interesting because what you just said that that empirical data of not playing in a major 
and, and doing what he did and being on a Ryder Cup team. I do think that there are some comparisons to Spieth in 2013. When Jordan started the year, uh, he had no status. And, and by virtue of being well represented and, and having some cachet because he'd been on a national championship team and actually finished in the top, in the top 20 in a PGA Tour event when, when he was a teenager, what he did by the end of that year was pretty extraordinary. He was on the U.S. President's Cup team and started the year with no status. Fair, but he also won the John Deere Classic in 13 Absolutely. and went and played a major the next the next week. And had had uh, Jordan been more like a Ludwig, he probably would have had that status uh, on the PGA Tour that entire summer and never would have had to go to Q School where he ended up missing at second stage back in 2012. Yep. Um, but I, I, I agree, very similar trajectories. Out of, the, out of the well, what, what it does, let's go ahead and just address this because one of the things that has happened PGA Tour U was created in advance of the creation of Live, um, and I know that both of you are going, God, really? College guys, based on what they did in college, are going to get some entry point into, into professional golf through the Corn Ferry Tour? You guys have kind of recalibrated your thoughts on it, haven't you? Yeah, yes and no. Okay. I, I have because of how well this has worked out for this particular guy, Aubert. Yep. He, he's going to be an outlier. We're not going to see this from every guy that's coming out of this PGA Tour year. Fair. So I, I think the verdict is still out whether this is a highly successful But, but don't you think that whether, whether it takes another five years for somebody who gets immediate entry to the PGA Tour to do what he did, to, these are future assets, and if you are still in competition with Liv, that's part of the reason why they did this. I don't need to see Gordon Sargent immediately top 10 in a PGA Tour event to know that the, the decision to make him fully exempt based on this point system is the right thing to do. Well, and let's not forget about Austin Eckroat and Brandon Wu, yeah. who were the first two. This was before it got the number one spot to the tour. They went and earned their way through the Corn Ferry Tour and, and earned their card onto the PGA Tour that way as a result of the PGA Tour U program. I think personally when it came out, I was very against it, yeah. as I know a lot of us were. We wanted all these kids to have to go back uh, to first stage of Q School and go through it like we all did. But Andre Gonzalez actually changed my mind, and he said, you would have been in one of these positions to get some starts on the nationwide tour back in the day. Yeah. And you'd most certainly would have been. And so he was like, wouldn't you have wanted that for yourself? And absolutely I would have. Would, to have that cleaner path, I think it's a great program, and I've done a complete 180 on it. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I, I liked it from the beginning. I know it's, it's not easy to compare sports, but I look at the NBA draft lottery, and I look at these other sports, and, and even though college golf is by itself, it now has a place on television, on network, that you're becoming a much bigger figure. You actually put makeup on this year. You were on Golf Channel. My God, what is the world coming to? But the fact is, is that I, I think it's smart. You have to look at this, and especially if Liv continues to exist in a world in which they operate the way they want to operate, and the PGA Tour is operating their way, um, you, you've got to protect future assets. With that being said, to me, the story is that this has not been resolved. The June 6th is massive, and that's fair to make it that. The, as we get to the end of the year and the fact that this has not been resolved and that Liv continues to poach players, or you can use any term you want, sign players, um, this is hurtling in a direction that is so dangerous because the PGA Tour is writing checks 
they're having a hard time cashing and they can look for investment from all these different private equity groups. I have a feeling a reckoning is coming. This is a very dangerous time in my estimation. Well, and what like I, I agree with you on the poaching of players. I think it's it strikes an end to the framework agreement. That thing is gonna be dead in the water here shortly. And what is the end game for a private equity group investing in the PGA Tour? These guys aren't just going to donate a billion dollars no. to the PGA Tour. How do they get their money out of it? And that's the problem I don't have. Do they just have power over it? How do they, how do they see a revenue? How do they see profit? Here's the thing about your, the business that you guys have been a part of your entire professional lives. The thing has grown. The PGA Tour has grown and grown and grown. But it was adhering to market principles when it came to ratings. And by virtue of the ratings, you had various categories, whether it's financial or automotive or healthcare, that would invest in it. And by virtue of that, your purses were what they were. Now, all of a sudden, with the existence of something that does not have to adhere to market principles, you're trying to pay guys much more money than, than the market would bear. Right. The ratings don't support it. Frank Nabila was on this show and he's like, I'm gonna say the, the quiet part out loud. These guys are making too much money and he doesn't begrudge them. This is not sustainable. That's the, that's the dangerous part for me. I, I agree, it's, it's not sustainable. And all of a sudden now these guys, say it does come to, these guys are making this much money now, all of a sudden it gets cut. Now where are these guys looking? They're gonna go straight to live. Well, and we're gonna to get to ramen full here in a little bit because it's a huge chip. Um, and, and even though 23 was kind of quiet on the departure front, the end of 2023 um, is massive in, in terms of that. Um, to me, where is this going? Where is where's the resolution going to come? Because to what you were saying about private equity, when you start to peel back the layers of what your business is, beyond the assets of the tournaments, you start going, okay, we own and operate X number of golf facilities. Like, really, is that a good business to be in? No, and they're carrying a ton of debt with the new entertainment building that's gone up. The yep. new uh, global headquarters that went up was over a $2 billion uh, nut. So they're, the tour is in a lot of debt with their, their build out right now. And to me, it's, it's, it, I, 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 don't, I don't know what the end game is. Is, is live the future? Is the PGA Tour going to be dead as we know it if we keep losing players like Rom and other top 10 players in the world? I, I think the PGA Tour as a brand is still very, very valuable. The idea of selling whatever, let, let's say that there is a, a cleansing to where they, they come together and then, and then these players are going to co-op space again. PGA Tour is a far more valuable brand to Wall Street, Madison Avenue, and I think all of these companies globally over live, which, and I'm not trying to, to rip live, nobody's watching it. Nobody's watching it for a lot of reasons. Um, it's, it's on a network people are unfamiliar with. It's a format a lot of people don't necessarily respond to. People don't know about professional golf and, and, and team golf. The PGA Tour is still a very valuable professional enterprise and brand, but the value is in the, in the physical assets of the people playing. If week in and week out, there are less of the people that Main Street is familiar with and the ratings continue to go in the direction they're going, these sponsors, wherever their contracts are expiring, are gonna go, this makes no sense for us anymore. 
And the tour has done such a great job of locking in these sponsors for long, long-term deals. These last, I would say, five, six years, they've made these sponsors push their all the way up. To, I think Valero signed a 10-year deal, which was the longest extension that, that the tour has seen. So, yeah, it's going to go by the wayside, and it's already such a small pool of potential sponsors for the PGA Tour, and they're just shrinking it down and down by asking where purses were this FedEx Cup fall is ridiculous. I think the RSM Classic was $8 million. Like how are we, I mean, I know Liv's playing for way too much money, but that's a glorified Corn Ferry Tour event field-wise, and they're playing for $8 million. That is, like there there are certain little tugs that need to go, and I know we were going to plan on talking about the mules uh, sure. of, of the PGA Tour, and I think this is a nice segue into it, is that the fall needs to be chopped in half with purses. You're not playing for, you, you're not going out there playing for that kind of money. Save some sponsors. You can have a couple more tournaments if, if the entry level is that much lower. And, and that's a good way to start cutting costs. Quit making these guys up their purses one hundred and fifty dollars to $500,000 every single season. You agree with that? I do, 100%. 100%. Yeah. I, I, first of all, I was happy for RSM in this respect that it's always been you know, kind of a very sleepy week. I, I was there year after year after year, love going. Um, they got a little bit of juice because it really was kind of the finality of status with respect to guys going into next year. I hope they retain that, but you're right. It's, it's so implausible to think that you can continue to ask in football season of sponsors to put up this kind of money to have friends and family watching. It, it, that is absolutely not sustainable. You mentioned mules. Do you get royalties for the fact that that's now become like the lexicon when people talk about the PGA Tour? Royalties. I think it was Ryan Armour that first said it, and, and there's been some other people kind of yes, uh, uh, make it go on further. No, but I, I've definitely said it a lot. I love the term. I'm a mule. I love I, the term. I know I'm a mule. We, you know, it's an affectionate it, Pack term. us up, make us play 25 pro-ams a year, load, the, load us down, and, and work us into the ground that's what we do we're mules. that hay and go back out and plow that field again <laughs> exactly no I, I first of all i don't have a problem as somebody who not only yeah i cover it but i i watch it i watch it without you know an obligation to watch it a lot of times i have no problem with a two system existence of what the signature series is which is the stars come out of hibernation and they play x number and then you have the majors and you have the players and then you have the playoff events. And the balance of it is what professional golf is, which is a lot of people pursuing a dream to keep the lights on. Literally, that to me is compelling as hell. I understand it's a modest audience, but it's a damn loyal audience. I have no problem with this system being the way that it is. Do you? I don't. And, and I think when we were coming out on tour in 2007, it was the, the birth of the FedEx Cup playoffs. And we always, I think we've had conversations about this. Eventually, there's going to be a FedEx tour. And then the PGA Tour and now Corn Ferry Tour will mm. swallow each other up, and there'll be one feeder tour to the FedEx Tour. And that's the way it's already there right now. It's just It just so happens the lower-tier PGA Tour events have gigantic purses. But if you could somehow make the 78- to 80-man fields FedEx Tour 20 weeks a year, maybe go a little more globally, and then you can have your 35-40 tournament PGA Tour calendar, but it's yeah. both those tours combined, and, and you'd have some sort of a turnover of 20 guys either way. I agree with what you said. I think we're there already. It just doesn't have that label. I mean, if you look at it, it's, it's such a two-tiered system at the moment, and it's, it's just going to 
that gap is going to continue to widen. It is. Uh, you, you, you just, you know what hasn't been done? The Signature Series has not officially been sold for sponsorship. That's coming. And, and it makes complete sense. Why wouldn't, whether it be FedEx, who already owns the, 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 you know, the playoff series, why wouldn't they be peddling? And my assumption is they are peddling a sponsorship to get some infusion of cash to offset what is them dipping into the reserves or begging and pleading with sponsors to up whatever the number was on their original contract. <laughs> because, I, look, we live in Charlotte. Wells Fargo ain't coming off the hip for the 11 million shortfall for a purse that is now 20 million, which they signed up for nine and change. No, and the PGA Tour has always picked up about 55% of purses on the PGA Tour. So it's not a t completely $20 million buy-in, right, right. but there are ad buys in, in that as well. Um, I thought I thought forever after January 6th that it would be either the Aramco uh, Signature Event Series or something to that effect, <laughs> because I think gosh. that's where the money was going. Yeah, no, I, I know you're, you're saying that, and it's hard not to smile. Uh, but Aramco, if you're not familiar with it, uh, you should be because soon enough it'll probably be sponsoring the NFL playoffs because uh, it's the biggest company in the world. And they're already in LPGA golf, Formula One, yes. uh, global soccer. I, yeah. I mean, they're they're all over the place. So, I mean, it's coming. It just hasn't quite hit the U.S. yet from a power professional sports conference. But I, I was convinced when this whole framework agreement, maybe the fall is the Aramco team series fall. But Aramco, if this agreement goes through, will be a sponsor on the PGA Tour. Okay, so I, I don't think it's for sale. But if the PGA Tour, in an effort to go to, and they already have, they're deep into conversations with a handful of private equity groups in terms of whoever is going to be their partner for this for-profit arm of the PGA Tour, why wouldn't you go to the PGA of America and say, how much? How much for the Ryder Cup? How much for the property outside of the four majors that is the most valuable in this game? And it's irrefutable that it is based on how much revenue is produced from that event once every two years. I mean, I think the tour should. I really do. Why? Why wouldn't you go there? Overpay. You know, you're going to get your money back out of that event. It, it's, it's not proven. going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. It's it's growing. I mean, th there's going to continue to be so much viewership for that event. Why wouldn't you go out there? Overpay. Get that thing, regardless of what it takes. I just don't see the PGA of America doing it. I think the PGA of yeah, America knows exactly how valuable it is. Yeah. And it's like the DP World Tour, uh, it's kept them afloat. Every four years, having the European-hosted Ryder Cup has kept that tour afloat for so long. Finally, the tour came in and bought, I think, 30% of uh, DP World Tour Entertainment, whatever it's called now. And so the, the, the PGA Tour does have a minor piece of the Ryder Cup. Yes. But I just, I think the PGA of America is strong, and I don't think they need, well, I mean, what is the value of the Ryder Cup? Everybody's if got their price. Uh, I, I mean, clearly. your price. Well, clearly, but <laughs> <laughs> I just don't, I think the PGA Tour of America, I mean, the PGA of America yeah. knows far too well how important that is to the organization. They, they do, I, and I, I think it'd be a hard thing to wrestle away from them, um, but you're right, the PGA Tour gets a portion uh, of the revenue that's, that is you know, created from it. It's, it's massive. I also think for the PGA of America, you're, you're not just simply trying to remain relevant. It's such a valuable property in terms of what it does, in terms of driving interest in their organization. Yes, they also own a, a major championship. I don't think it's for sale. 
I just wonder if in the, the far reaches of these places uh, where the people who run these organizations inhabit, if it's never been, if that conversation's ever been started. Well, and that's the influx of money from private equity or from PIF. That would give the PGA Tour at least the horsepower to actually make a legitimate offer sure. to the PGA of America. You'd have rights. to overpay for it. Un unquestionably, you would. All right, beyond Tiger and beyond Rory, who have made it, there, you know, sometimes you listen to coaches or players and they go, yeah, I'll be here forever. And you're going, well, forever's a long time. Those two guys, are not, they're not going anywhere. Beyond them, who would be, in your minds, the most valuable player that if the PGA Tour loss, is it the guy who just left, John Rahm? I think so. It has to be. He is by far the biggest name outside of Rory right now. Tiger on the back burners because we don't sure. know how much he's going to play. But yes, I think John Rahm is an asset that they cannot afford to lose. And it's, it's kind of leaning like they're going to. You agree that Rom is the most valuable chip? Well, I mean, when you look at him, he's he's compelling to watch. Yes. He's fiery. He's yes. got personality. He's not afraid to, to say the wrong thing. Bingo. But he's also not afraid to say the right thing. And when you look at a guy like I would put in his realm would be Scotty Scheffler or a Jordan Spieth or Justin Thomas. Like, Rom just has so much more cachet around him right now, especially. And he's got the global market, too. So I, I think it's without... I doubt Rom. I, I, I love Scheffler. Scheffler reminds me of, and I wasn't a, a, a big watcher of The Office. Um, he could, I, I just feel like he should be on that set. He'd be a character on that show. Like, I find him very funny, um, but he's not Rom. Like, Rom, Rom, one, I appreciate the fact that he's like, he digs in on history. He is righteous. He will give his opinion on things that he wouldn't necessarily agree with. I have felt throughout this process, uh, in particular, at the U.S. Open, sitting in his press conference after the framework agreement uh, was announced, or the framework of a framework agreement was announced, he was pissed. And he made it very clear that he was. Like, he's unafraid to, to, to wear whatever it is that he's thinking and feeling on his sleeve. There is incredible value to that. And he plays a style of golf that is sit forward and watch. He'll take chances. He'll throw clubs. He will, he'll give you... Your dollar's worth as a viewer. I don't think there's anybody more valuable outside of Rory and Tiger, and they're not going anywhere, more so than Thomas Spieth and Scheffler. I think Rom's the guy. Mm, he does. He's got a charisma about him. He does. He, he's captivating. He's, he's fun to watch. It's... um. I mean, he, he takes he takes shots on on the golf course, and he is. It's ideal for the viewer to sit there and watch John Rom play around a golf. It's like where are we like where's all this going? Where everyone listen to a lot of smart people that you know talking about the demise of live. Oh, I won't be around here past twenty three. Ah, oh, it's 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 dead in the water. I mean, there are a lot of people who have been wrong about them, um, and from what I've been told from people who have done business with these folks for a long, long time. They get what they want, and if they don't get what they want, then they buy it. And if, if they get disinterested, they may move on. I don't sense that they're getting disinterested. So where, is, where are we going here? But to the whole John Rom thing, though, yeah. Cam Smith, the year he left, won the Players' Championship, the Open Championship, yeah. and he is now completely irrelevant in the game of golf. Unless he pops up on a major leaderboard, I have no idea what he's doing. And I'm 
uh, so sad. And I get the, yeah. the, the kind of money that these guys are offered. And I, who knows? I wouldn't turn it down either, I'm sure. But you said it. John Rahm has this uh, appreciation for history and legacy. And I'm just worried that he's going to become completely irrelevant like we saw Cam Smith unless he pops up in a major. And then still you're irrelevant for 48 weeks a year. Yeah. Completely it, irrelevant. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird because you're right. He had a decent week at the PGA, but outside of that, he, he was not a factor in the other majors. And to the point I made earlier, nobody's watching. Live. That's just the facts. They're not. Here's the thing, though. Kepka, conversely, was the story of the first two majors. He didn't win the first one, but he was the story from the outset. It was the first live masters with live guys in the field. He was the 54 hole leader. Rom caught him, passed him. And then he jumped right back up, took the punch to the grill and won the next one. So even though he may be irrelevant, like what does that do though to the PGA tour? If the guy who is off in a wasteland all the other weeks shows up and, and is winning one of the four most important events, what does that do? I mean, it, it 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 validates what they're doing, no doubt. And I, I'm not I'm not a live hater. No, I, I, get I hate it. what it's done to the game. I yeah. hate the divide, and I would like to see everybody playing. I wish it was on the PGA Tour, but I, it it validates their tour. But I just think that I don't. I, I think that's going to be a hard thing to replicate next year for anybody to come do what Kepka did. But hey, you got if you got well, Rom, you got Kepka, you got Cam Smith, you have some top five players in the world. DeChambeau has has. He had a good week at the PGA. He he, he won their events, which again, I, I'm not, I'm 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 I struggle to value what it is that these guys are accomplishing because to me, what you guys did, which is alien-like stuff, championship golf is 72 holes. It's not 54. It's 72, and it's not a shotgun. It is earning a time late on a Sunday and having to having to try to get sleep when you know you're going off at 2:47. On a Sunday, you're the last guy not on, on the eleventh hole at, at, at nine fifty. I, I, but the thing is, like DeChambeau is very capable of of winning any golf tournament. And here's the thing about what you said about Kepka is the only one. Rom is equally as capable as Kepka is. So let's just say, let's just say Kepka wins the Masters, okay? Rory's winning the Masters. Uh, okay, uh, we're going to get to him <laughs> because I know that you had to sneak that one in. We'll get to a full Rory thought. Uh, let's just say Kepka wins the, the Masters. Let's just say that Rom wins the PGA. You know what that means? They're now both on the cusp of a career Grand Slam playing for Liv. And they joined Phil Mickelson, who is um, implausible it may, as it may be that of him winning a U.S. Open at his age and with the form that he's not had for more than a year now, that's, that's not insane to think that those two guys wouldn't win the first two majors of the year. And now they're a leg away from their career Grand Slam on live. Yeah, you've got five or ten guys over there right now that could contend for multiple majors in a year. I mean, there is a lot of talent on that tour. Yeah, John Rahm in that mix. I mean, it's not it's not that far imagined. The DJ for... can't win a PGA to then put him on the doorstep of a career Grand Slam at the Open? Well, and the shot in the arm that it would give to the entire tour with Rahm there, right? I mean, yes. all those guys would then think, oh, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work a little bit harder this offseason because I know i got to beat that guy. So it would... Uh, 
It, it, it raises the quality of that tour exponentially. Yeah. It's not that far-fetched to think of a year where three live guys win a major out of the four. That, that could happen very, very easily. Yeah, here's the thing you said about raising you know, that tour. Maybe, but here's what I do know. It diminishes the PGA Tour. And, and I felt it. I don't know how you guys felt. The final match play event that they had. When I looked at that bracket, I went, God, he's in, and he's in, and he's in. It is, it, for all the focus we give to the stars, and they drive every sport, 20 to 50, those guys are ballers. And the absence of a lot of those guys who are in those match play fields, which I don't care that it doesn't exist anymore. The reality is Joaquin Neiman just won in Australia. That guy is a young guy. He's a stud. And you start looking at the next level Abraham it's, Answer. Abraham Answer. It's, it, it's, I don't know what it does for Liv. I, I really don't. But what I do know is that the signature events on the PGA Tour, Brendan, no ROM, and on top of all the other guys who are not there. And here's the other thing. These are guys, they, they're not required to play these signature events these year. And you're going to go, oh God, they're going to play them all. Really? They didn't play the World Golf Series events. They didn't, they didn't feel obligated to play all of those. That's the problem. The week in and week out, the product is getting chipped away at. That's what I'm worried about. Yeah, if you look down a, a field list there all of a sudden and a John Rahm's not there, that's a massive miss for the PGA Tour. That is a huge emission. No, uh, it, and just to think about the people that aren't going to come out to the tournament that normally would. Like, you, you're going to have less people watching on TV, less people there, and it's just a trickle-down effect across the board. No Phil, no Rom, no Kepka. No Cam Smith. No DeChambeau. No Dustin Johnson. I mean, it's they, they have a they have a serious top ten team right now. And the the other thing is for the the idea that you know all the douchebags went over to live. All right, I'm not suggesting that you can't put forth that roster of douchebags, and I can go. Eh. But you know what? People emote about guys who are that way. We haven't even mentioned the name Patrick Reed, and I, I, it's not about you know what's his form right now. They're interesting, interesting in the fact that they're prickish, and and do things that make you take note and respond to. They got a lot of them. Well, I mean, it's the we lost the tour, lost all the villains, as we've said many times, and so we, Sergio. So, so now you just have a list of heroes. What's fun about that? You got to have <laughs> right. a villain. I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, and I, again, I'm not suggesting that people are lining up to watch Thomas Peters. He's a world-class player. And to me, it's, it's the rocket mortgages of this world and the 3Ms of this world where, no, you're not going to get Spieth and Thomas and Rory, but that next level you got to rely on. And thank God Tony Finau has been loyal. And Ricky, he's got a sponsorship. He won the rocket mortgage. You know, that's, that's a huge... I mean, it's like a Hail Mary that's being delivered. I just, I don't know what all this means for Liv. I really don't. I just know that it is chipping away at the foundation of the PGA Tour. And they've got to figure this out. <laughs> quickly. Quickly. <laughs> okay. Let, let's I mean, get... Because it's a two-year runtime. Okay. Um, who, was the be... who was the player of the year in 2023? <laughs> it's John Rahm. It is Rahm. The only guy that won four times. Yeah. John Rahm. Here's the thing about the ROM, and I'm with you. It was so weird that, that when he won the Masters, you're going, this is going to be 
one of the, this is Ollie and Frazier with him and Scheffler. Scotty had won a signature event. He had won the players. Rom had won at Riviera. He wins the Masters. You're going, holy shit. These guys are going to be throwing haymakers all year. They didn't win again. And Scotty, Scotty, obviously, I mean, on the PGA Tour, and it was an unofficial event at the Hero. I agree that it's Rom, but aren't you kind of perplexed that neither one of those guys won another golf tournament? It's not for lack of trying on Scotty no, Scheffler's no, no part. Doubt. That dude, if he had putted, oh, he was if, an he animal. Had, if he had putted even just poorly, he would have won four more times. But he putted atrociously and doesn't seem to even have it fixed. Was able to win on ball striking again there at the Hero. But uh, I think he did he make 16 feet of putt on Sunday. How about that? 16 feet of putt to win and shoot 68. <laughs> like uh, you can't make one 15 footer on a on a Sunday so I, I final went, round. I went to a little holiday get together after that 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 final round and had that stat in my back pocket with a bunch of golf geeks that were at this little festivities and a couple of them had too much to drink and I gave them that stat. They went, "No, you. What are you talking about?" I'm like. No, no, he only made, and they're like, no, you're wrong. I'm like, first of all, I'm not wrong. You're overserved. But it is, it is mind blowing that he only made 16 feet of putts and he won. Mind blowing. I mean, that doesn't have, that, 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 can't, that can't happen. I found an interesting stat too. Scotty Scheffler leads the PGA Tour in uh, approach putting distance, yeah. right? And so he, is very conservative, very tentative when it comes to putting. He lags it right around the hole because he's scared of the three-footer. If you look at all the best strokes gained putters, they are way off on that one stat. Scotty Scheffler is way too tentative, hit the ball harder. It's going to be a big year. Were you encouraged by he, he, he put a putter in his bag that is from a manufacturer? I don't even know if you would call him that. It's a guy who makes Olson. It, yeah, Olson makes custom putters. Good looking. Yeah. Um, and and the Phil Kenyon thing. I heard Joe Scavrin, who who now caddies for Tom Kim, used to caddy for Ricky. Most people watching know that. But he said, as soon as I heard that he was working with Phil, I went, oh shit, yeah. we're all in trouble here. From what you saw of the way he putted. Uh, regardless of the fact that he didn't have to make anything, hit m virtually every green, two-putted, including par fives, shot 68. What did you make of the the, the look of his stroke? I was very encouraged. I mean, we talk about the final round. He was third in putting through three rounds. Yes. So Finished sixth yes. in a field of 20. So obviously putted the ball really well up until that final round. He had a big lead. He protected it. Uh, I don't have any problem. I mean... Listen, 16 feet is terrible, but I don't have any problem with that if you're still going to win the tournament easily. Yeah. Um, I was encouraged, and and I agree exactly there with uh, what Joe Scarvin said. Phil Kenyon, anybody that has been to see Phil Kenyon has become an exponentially much better putter. I mean, look at what it did for Gary Woodland right off the bat. Um, I think Scotty is one of those guys that's going to put in all the work that he needs to. He's going to bust his butt to get to where it needs to be as far as a putter. And it feels like now he's actually got someone to, to really work with. Justin Rose, of somebody who's been a sublime ball striker forever, I always felt he never made anything. He made everything at the Ryder Cup. And he's a Phil Kenyon client. I mean, the guy is, the guy is really, really good. I, and I, I've not spent any time around him. I've met him. That, but I, it's got to be more than mechanics. There's got to be a belief system. There's got to be a methodology to the way that he, he talks about approach and process. The point is, is that if, he doesn't have to be a great putter. If he's average, he wins five times, right? At least. Yeah. At least. But Rom's the player of the year. Definitely. Okay. Rookie mm -hmm. of the year. 
Is it Obear? It's Obear for me. Really? It is. What God, he did, it just Eric, sneaks in and just pummels Eric Cole. Eric Cole had such a wonderful year and consistent, played a ton of events, and really got better as the year went on, especially in the fall. Oh my but, God, he was great in the fall. But when you look at a guy like Ludwig Obert and you look back 10 years from now and you're like, who was the who was the PGA Tour Rookie of the Year in 2023? And you had the opportunity to vote for a guy like Ludwig Obert, who probably will have three majors by then, you got to take that guy. He's generationally, I mean... He's the rookie of the year. Yeah, yeah. I think, and, and the win at Sea Island sets him over yeah. the top. I mean, okay, he, so if he finishes second, Eric Cole wins. Without uh, a doubt. Fair. <laughs> I, I really want to give it to Eric Cole <laughs> because, I mean, I think he played 35 events. I mean, that's old school, man. That's, that's like Tom Kite, 1980. It's like Brendan DeYoung every year. <laughs> <laughs> Would you average 28 to 30 events? Yeah, oh, easily. No Easily. wonder you grew to hate it. <laughs> yeah, that's so why I'm so much. fit. <laughs> All that walking. Uh, you, you mentioned like when they look up if it was Eric Cole and Obear winds up being a Hall of Fame player. Mark Carnival won the Rookie of the Year, <laughs> the year that Phil was a the a rookie as well. Yeah. By the um, way, a little little. I, I think people will appreciate this. So years ago, when when people would come to live from, they still do it. They would have a master's flag. So every, every guest who would come into the studio there at Augusta National during master's week would sign the flag. And most of them were guys who had won green jackets. It's Gary Player, it's Ben Crenshaw, it's, you know, it's Nicholas, it's Palmer, it, all these guys. So they bring Car Carnival in to do a segment. Mark's a you know, thoughtful voice, he covers the game. And he comes in and he signs the master's flag, <laughs> R-O-Y. <laughs> that's pretty good hey it's his crowning achievement absolutely I mean, it is and it would be it possibly right would next be, to ray floyd's autograph it possibly would be eric cole's crowning achievement too and it's yes. you know it's I, I i would be totally fine with him getting it and if you look back over rookie of the years over the past 10 years i bet we can't collectively name half of them so it's not that big of a deal and it would be huge for a guy like eric cole but Ludwig gets my vote. Okay, I, I, fair. I, I would I would give it to him as well. The tour doesn't give they give a courage award. They gave it to Chris Kirk. You know, it's inspiring. It's somebody who's trying to walk a similar journey. It's a great story. They don't give a comeback player of the year award, which you you guys killed it because you gave it to the same guy two years in a row, which is one of the most insane, asinine things in the history of sports. That Steve Stricker won the comeback player of the year two years in a row. God, if people in mainstream media ever knew that. It was, it was, I mean, he did it though. He came back out of nowhere and kept his card and then he wins like three times the next year. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you can. You're kind of disqualified. Know, you want to take a year off. Fair. Come back a following year. If there was a comeback player year, it's a hell of a category. Guys that you know well, who have, have seen what the abyss looks like, the bowels of hell when it comes to, getting no results, thinking, Jesus, really? Like, I can't, I mean, where's my status? Where am I playing next week? If I said to you guys, a comeback player of the year, who would it be for you? I would give it to Camilo Vijegas, um, and possibly along with that, the best human story of the year as well. Back-to-back yeah. um, -back weeks with Eric Van Rooyen winning and then Camilo winning. Yes. Um, you know, I remember sitting on that, we talked about this on the radio show, I remember sitting on that boat, that ferry ride in Bermuda with Camilo, and he had just really struggled that first round, and he was asking me what my plans were moving forward, and I said, well, I'd like to get into some TV stuff, and he's like, yeah, I think I'm going to kind of go along those same lines, 
And then he what a dreadful conversation <laughs> for guys like yourself to have to have. Yeah, we're oh both holding each other from jumping off that boat. <laughs> and he did it. He did it. He got up in a tower with Steve Sands and went, really? Yeah. This is my future? <laughs> we, Steve and I were... were uh, yeah. It's, uh, you, you two were having a cocktail and what? Well, no, we, we were in the booth together for Mexico when Camilla was coming down. He's yeah. like, geez, I mean, Steve was really giving himself a hard time. Like, I guess all that needed to happen was Camilla needed to sit with me. He's like, what's that? Why? I was like, Steve, I actually kind of enjoy hanging out with you in this booth. But uh, Camilla is a great story. And this is such an incredible year of comeback stories. Big time. I mean... It, Justin Rose isn't really a huge comeback, but broke it's a pretty, huge drought. Pretty significant. Jason Day broke a huge Absol drought and came back from back injuries, changed his swing. You've got Ricky Fowler. I mean, the, I think Chris Kirk. I think there's a ton of potentials here, but I, I, I hate to agree with Brendan, but I think Camillo broke the longest wind drought yeah. and, and just the whole story of, of where he was. He was in the commentator's booth at the Wyndham Championship, and now he's back to a two-year exemption and a yeah. winner on the PGA What's that, Tour. Two, two months prior, he's in the yeah. in the booth and then winning? Yeah. That's pretty good. I mean, he's at, he's at the last event before the playoffs at the Wyndham, and and two months later, he wins. And I, look, mortality, you guys get to play if you're healthy and competitive longer than other sports, which is great. But you still have to face your mortality at some point, and you're still pretty young for the most part. You know, 40 to go, God, this is all I've ever known. And now what am I going to do? And, you know, if you've done well, pension's good, whatever. The point is you want to do something. And I've talked to a handful of guys like yourself, and they went, when, when you start to even think that, how is that not affecting you? How's, not, how's that not affecting your belief system that if I'm thinking about maybe I'll try television, haven't you already told yourself that you can't do it anymore? To some degree. 100%. And you hit a shot on a Friday and you're missing the cut by five. And you're like, what am I even doing out here? As opposed to, you know, thinking maybe I'll get better for next week. I'll get better for this. But it's it's a, it's a one of the hardest things I've ever gone through is is that transition when you – when I played for another two years knowing I couldn't break an egg anymore. That's how I felt when I hit my first tee shot on Thursday. Like, what the hell am I doing here? Right. It's, it is. You're, you're, out, you're halfway out the door, and these guys are too good. You can't compete with them if, unless you are all in. Uh, I'm going to – I'm going to – Camilo, is, it's, it's almost like it's its own category because of the human tragedy uh, that is a family. They had to they, – they have not only lived through but are finding inspiration from as far as Mia's foundation – um, but Lucas Glover is, I know that he hadn't, you know, he, he won the deer a couple years ago, but come on, man. I mean, he was fried. He, the, the, the up close of that face of that putter on that short putt, I believe that was also at Wyndham a couple years ago is like, Ooh, that's like, and, and you guys, you might've been covering it. The putter that he now uses that has effectively allowed him to, to you know, not only find peace when he gets to the green, but but thrive. He used that putter in a U.S. Open qualifier and missed a putt less than three feet. Didn't even touch the hole. For that guy to win back-to-back -back events, including a playoff event. Uh, and oh, by the way, he joined us uh, back in May. And th thank thanks to him for not only winning, but but after he won, like people started watching that show. Like we we've doubled the audience. And you know what they found out? Holy shit, he's really interesting. He's really interesting, and he can he can flush it. But if you can't shake it off the putter, you have no chance. I think him doing what he did 
is damn remarkable. And leading into those two wins, he had a number of top six finishes yes, in a row as well. So it was it was a total building process. And I feel like he got snubbed a little bit on the Ryder Cup this year. Yep. I think he would have been a great asset to that team. But Lucas is another. And this is what I'm, this is my point is there are so many great options for comeback player of the year. It would have been really cool to see the players vote on that. All right, boys, that's the end of part one. Do you two in those matching sweatshirts have the stamina for part two? Absolutely. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> part two coming up. <laughs> <laughs>